Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Today I am joined by Zeitgeist, uh, ZM UK uh, radio host, Terry. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Terry. Hello, everybody. I'm Terry. I'm from ZM UK Radio, a, a well, good supporter of the Zeitgeist movement and the Venus Project. And I hint that because the Venus Project is taking a lot of stick at the moment, along with the Zeitgeist movement. <laughs> <laughs> I still support both too, Terry. Um, yeah. Where can people check out your show? Uh, um, talk show on TalkShoe.com. Uh, My show's on there under v, uh, ZMUK Radio, where you can find the podcast. Or there's a TV setup now on, uh, was it? Oh, Bambuster, something like that, Bambuster. And you, know, you can find ZMUK TV with some videos of me talking live on video and also playing some music videos from activist groups and people like that. Uh, all good quality stuff. Please check them out. <laughs> yeah, I love your show, Terry. I always have it on whenever it comes on. So um, to set the tone for today's show, I actually got some George Carlin. So. I want to warn the audience, I normally don't play stuff with profanity, but George Carlin is one of the times that I make an exception. Well, George Carlin and Charlie Veach, um, which I might add in the news today, Charlie Veach had his son, Leonidas Veach. Uh, yesterday, actually, um, his girl gave birth to a son. So uh, congratulations out there to Charlie and the Love Police. Uh, so <laughs> that little piece of information out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and start this uh, clip from George Carlin, The American Dream. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks. And it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pocket. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interests. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club. 
and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. Yeah. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Well, I woke up a while ago from the American dream. Uh, do you people in England have a version of that? <laughs> What, like a UK dream sort of thing? No, we don't. Sorry. <laughs> According to most experts, we're so reserved, we just go along. Mm, I see what you're saying. Well, <laughs> one of the reasons why I played that clip today, which I'm sure many of you have already heard, which I might add, folks, to those of you in the chat room, if you could comment on the quality of the sound of these recordings, because I'm doing something a little different. I'm using Blog Talk's... Uh, system that allows you to upload mp3 files for different recordings rather than using my stereo mix so um, if anybody in the audience can comment or even just comment to me later on facebook if you're not you know if you're listening to it while recorded i'd appreciate it but anyway all that technical garbage out of the way um i played that to kind of point out uh to se you know segue into what we're going to be talking about today and there's a lot of different things actually but uh, largely just about the the democratic system the elections the election system the the need for third parties um you know or even just to support them rather than voting for a, a mainstream candidate um even if it's just that you're making your vote as a statement of protest i generally tell people vote green party if they're involved with the zeitgeist movement or whatever because you know their platform is actually pretty uh, pretty compatible with most of the things that we talk about but you know even then don't expect that there's going to be a huge amount of change based on that but it does kind of say something about what it is that you support and sometimes mainstream politicians feel compelled to at least pay lip service or maybe make certain concessions to get the votes of people who do these things. That's actually how the Socialist Party got a lot of things accomplished, was by putting pressure on the Democrats, for example, to change some of their attitudes um, in order to get votes away from the Socialist Party. It was actually a Socialist Party candidate, Brian Moore, that I've had many times on the show who talked about that. Um, so that being said, today we're going to be talking mostly about, because uh, this is a daily news episode, we're going to be Discussing the recent Romney scandal, I want to say that I'm sorry that uh, I'm getting to this a little later than everybody else, and normally I'll be trying to do this kind of stuff the same day it happens on daily news shows, but I had the most ridiculous sinus infection you could ever imagine, and my head hurt like hell. So um, I'm better now, at least you can probably still hear the congestion in my nose, but at least now it's tolerable. So now to the news. Um <laughs> Basically, the, the background on this, so that you understand what we're dealing with here, is somebody anonymously went to 
one of these fundraisers that uh, politicians go to that uh, Mitt Romney was actually at, in this case. And um, he was at this uh, big-time fundraiser, just surrounded by one percenter, you know, fat cat types, the richest, you know, people involved, you know, in this sort of thing. So I'm actually going to go ahead and add Funder to the call so that he can be part of the conversation. Um, but I'm going to continue reading here. Funder to the call. So oh, you might want to pause the show, Greg. Continue reading here. <laughs> there you Whoop. go. Common mistake. Um, but anyway, so to set the stage, these comments that you're listening to from Mitt Romney are from when he, first of all, did not know he was being recorded. Uh, second of all, when he was at a private meeting with the the highest priced uh, donators to campaigns. Okay. And, you know, that you might have seen clips, like, for example, of George Bush back in the day, you know, talking at a fundraiser where he said, you know, you people are my people, et cetera, et cetera, where basically he was saying that, you know, he was one of them, you know, one of those, that type of people. So um, in any case, I'm going to go ahead and start with the clip that started all of this mess. And there's a lot more where that came from, folks. You can listen because after this, uh, they uploaded the entire video and, um, it's a long video that you can you can check out, and anybody wants the link to it, I'll give it later. But these are just some of the excerpts because it's like two hours long. So let me start with this one. And once again, please comment on the quality. There are 47% of the people who vote for the president no matter what. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 48. He starts off with a huge number. Uh, these are people who pay no income tax. Forty-seven percent of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. And you'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell every every four years. And uh, and so my job is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them that they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. What I have to do is convince the five to ten percent in the center that are independent, that are thoughtful, that look at voting one way or the other, depending upon some cases emotion, whether they like the guy or not. Okay, so a couple of points about this. Uh, first of all, let me read it just in case you guys didn't understand it very well because the original sound recording, I might add, was also not super great quality. It looks like the guy literally just set up a little video camera like the one that I have secretly on like a dresser or something that wasn't too far away from where these people are talking. Okay, he says... There are 47% of the people who will vote for the president no matter what. All right. There are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that they are the victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food. He, he really emphasized entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. And that's an entitlement and the government should give it to them, and that they will vote for the president no matter what. These are the people who pay no income tax. Okay, <clears throat> so he's saying right from the get-go, when he says pay no income tax, he's talking about the lowest part of the economy, the people who make the least amount of money, who basically get all of their money back. Um, so therefore, 
you know, remember, of course, that this is the kind of person who's not necessarily going to care too much about what we think. And we'll get into that actually in a later clip. But first, let me get some uh, reactions from you, Gregory, and then from Terry. Oh, gee, where do I start? What? You know, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Um, I think it's, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but didn't Romney say something when he was asked the question about fact checkers that we don't want fact checkers in our campaign or something to that effect? Wouldn't sound. Yeah, I don't know about that, but it something, sounds yeah, something, something about, like he'd say. Yeah, you know, people. He did are, say corporations are people. Yeah, well. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. I don't even. I, I I don't know where to begin with this guy. I, I haven't been watch. I I watch and I laugh uh, on occasion at the at just the idiocy that comes and the and the stuff that comes out of his mouth because. It, it's so far from reality. Uh, it's scary, though, that he actually believes, you know, what he says. I don't know who's writing his speeches for him or if he's writing them himself, but I guarantee you that the facts are not correct. And uh, this that whole word that you brought up about entitlement, like, so so he's able to speak for these this arbitrary 47% that he brings up and mm-hmm. say that that, you know, that, that, that that is the case. It's it's just funny that he's speaking for all these people uh in the context like he knows what 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 it is they want or what it is they're asking for. It's just it's just so crazy. Well, yeah, and it's basically he's conceding. He's saying 47% of the voters are going to vote for Barack Obama no matter what because we essentially want the government to take care of us and that you know, he, he's putting us in that line that conservatives say so often that everybody who is poor chooses to be that way right. is just lazy entitlement, you know, generation types who just sit around all day, who don't want to work, who just want to be given all their food and their health care and all that for free. And, you know, I warrant that there are probably human beings out there like that. But when I was elbow to elbow with the people at the various Occupy movements I've been to, I'm usually surrounded by blue-collar people who would really much rather be working, but yeah. there's no jobs, and and we're definitely going to get into that as we go. Uh, Terry, hello. Yes, comment. <laughs> um, I'm like Gregory. Where do you begin with someone like that? I watched the video earlier. Well, little snippets of uh, um, the clip you just played. I saw that one, and I saw another one where he's on about the Palestinians don't want peace and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, yes, they do. There are more people that want peace than anyone else. And as for him, I reckon if he ever gets to be president of the United States of America, I think we all better watch our own asses, because I reckon he's going to be worse than Obama. I reckon he's going to take a lot of backhanders and push things forward, like um going into uh, Iran and trying to shut down their nuclear program, which isn't going anywhere, as far as I can make out. And my research online tells me that they haven't haven't even uh, thought about developing nuclear weapons at the moment. Another way that they are having these weapons is so that they can be up with the big boys. Think about it. Yeah, actually, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, wouldn't you, if you was a downtrodden country, want to be up with the big boys and have nuclear weapons as a deterrent? I would. Not only that, but have you have you 
has have you seen the map uh, that shows all the U.S. bases surrounding Iran? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, the guy's I- getting like closed in. You know, yep. he's he's. <laughs> it's like he's surrounded. Literally, there's I think twelve or sixteen U.S. military bases, literally surrounding the whole country of Iran. And then you'd have to wonder why such a country might have trepidations about our intentions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm, yeah. You know, and uh, but I mean, as far as I mean, we'll definitely talk about that because it's going to come up later, especially during the Jesse Ventura part of the show. Um, but you know, as far as to the issue of you know, that he's written off 40 47% of the voters, and he literally has written them off. We'll get into that in a, in a later clip of his that I'm going to play. He's written off 47% of the voters just saying, these people are never going to vote for us because they're all lazy and, and entitled and all that other crap. You know, and I think, you know, he. I understand the point behind the entitlement attitude, but the problem is is that he also supports the things that are creating the circumstances that put us all out of work. Right. You know, he supports outsourcing. His own companies used outsourcing. You know, and he actually brings that up in this conversation later that, you know, that, you know, I'm going to get demonized for being a guy who's laid people off and all of that. I'm like, yeah, because you did. <laughs> so you're trying to convince us that, you know, that we're supposed to trust you with the economy. So let me move on to that clip. This is Romney talking at that same conference about his experiences. Now, this is important, okay? The reason this is important is that conservatives usually tell us that, this, that, there's, that it's a myth that people in sweatshop labor live this way. They say that it's propaganda, that it's a lie when I point out that girls in China sometimes live in rooms with 12 other people, you know, in bunk bed, like barrack-like living standards, and these are the people that are manufacturing your stuff that you're buying at Walmart. Okay. They tell us that we're lying about this and that it's not true. Well, here's Mitt Romney talking about his eyewitness account of sweatshop labor. Here we go. 5% of life is, is, is set up for you if you're born in this country. And I remember going to, to sorry, just to bore you with stories, but I was, when I was back in my private equity days, we went to China to buy a factory there. They employed about 20,000 people. And they were almost all uh, young women between the ages of about 18 and 22 or 23. Uh, they were saving for potentially becoming married, and they worked in these huge factories. They made various uh, small appliances. And uh, as we were walking through this facility, seeing them work, the number of hours they worked per day, the things they earned, living in dormitories with, uh, with little bathrooms at the end of maybe 10, 10 rooms. And in the rooms, they had 12 girls per, per room. Three bunk beds uh, atop of each other. You see the oh, yeah. and, and, and around this factory was a fence, a huge fence of barbed wire and guard towers. And, and we said, gosh, I can't believe that you, you, know, you keep these girls in. They said, no, no, no. This is to keep other people from coming in. Because people want so badly to come work in this factory that we have to keep them out. Or they'll just come in here and start working and, and, and try and get compensated. So we, this is to keep people out. And they said, actually, at Chinese New Year, as the girls go home, sometimes they decide they've saved enough money and they don't come back to the factory. And he said, and so on, on the weekend after Chinese New Year, there'll be a line of people, hundreds long, outside the factory, hoping that some girls haven't come back and they can come to the factory. And, and so as we were experiencing this for the first time, we to see a factory like this in China some years ago. 
the, the main partner I was with turned to me and said, you know, 95% of life is settled if you're born in America. This is, uh, this is an amazing land. And, and what we have is, is unique, and fortunately it is so special for sharing it with the world. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm going to take a little host discretion and, and go off on this a little bit more before I bring up my guests. Okay, all right, so let's think about the context here. First of all, here we have the like the head of the conservative movement, essentially. I mean, you could say that. I mean, there's no real head of the conservative movement, but this is the guy the conservatives want. This is the guy the right wants, supposedly. This is the Republican nominee. He ran in 2008 and nearly beat McCain. You know, he's, he's, he's in a lot of essential stuff here. He's sitting there talking to all these rich people at one of these fundraisers when we're not supposed to be able to hear it because we're just average voters. The people that, as he, we're going to see in another clip, he literally says it's, it's his job not to care about us, I might add. Okay, so anyway, flat out admitting that this is the situation that people live in China, you know, who are making our stuff, who, who were working for his company, making his company's stuff. This is the situation that they were living in. And remember, anybody who, you know, who wants anything, you know, all the people who are poor and unemployed, well, they're just entitled whiny bastards who just need to go find a job you know and then later on in the same conversation he's admitting about you know these people in china that worked for his company you know and how hard they worked and how little money they make and the terrible working conditions that they lived in okay and that and more to the point that people were so desperate to take these these slave jobs that they're literally having to put up guard towers and fences to keep people from coming to work for them. Okay? Wow. Now, think about that for a second because if you remember on V Radio, many times I have pointed out that this is the situation that they want. They want the working caste, that being the people who actually have to get a job to survive, to be in the same situation. When they say competitive, when they say they want us to be competitive, that's what they want us to compete with. They want us to compete with people that are so damn desperate to be slaves, okay? And I'm not saying that to be dramatic. You, you put 12 people in one room on a bunch of bunk beds, they're slaves, okay? No, no drama. That's just the way it is. And then they're banging down the door to get in there. That's what they want the labor caste us to be, okay? And that's why they ship the jobs over there in the first place. So... Anyway, rant over. Uh, <laughs> Terry, you go first. Well said, Neil. Well said. You took the words right out of my mouth, actually, because I've done a bit of research on that myself with this, you know, slave industry in China. And that's not the only one. There's prisoners there who are forced labor and they don't get paid. They're actually prisoners, political prisoners. They're made to make um, like Homer slippers for Christmas, you know, fluffy Things you get for Christmas once in a while. Am I coming through all right? Yes, you are. I'm sorry. I was muted so I could blow my nose. But yeah, you sound oh, fine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they they got prisoners that are forced to do labor, like make these fluffy slippers, all these novelty things in China, and they don't get paid for it. They have to get up at the crack of dawn and work till the last uh, glimpse of the sun is set. And that's what they got to do. And they don't even get a break. And they say that these factories are 
with barbed wire and that to stop people getting in. I know it's to stop the workers getting out as well. Because once you once you apply for, to work for this company, you're there until you either leave or they get rid of you for slow for so productivity. Get it right? Right, and that's you know, and I think to comment on that. You're, we're talking about a situation like you said, like the people that are forced to work. It's not the same as, say, labor to pay for sitting around in prison. The kind of stuff that you can get put in prison for in China could be as simple as speaking out about your government. Exactly. You know, And that's why as they take more and more of our civil liberties away and create situations where they can put people in prison, I think that's, that's the direction you're heading. So, I mean, especially when you insert the Ayn Randian thought process that all people who are, you know, part of our caste, you know, are just useless parasites who barely deserve to live anyway, you know, it all starts to make sense. So, Gregory? Well, the question that comes to mind for me is how Mr. Romney on many occasions claims that his ideas and that him becoming president would be quote unquote better for America. Well, if that's the case and, and that's what he, you know, that's what he believes, why on earth is he even going to China to buy corporations or companies or factories? <laughs> if right, he's right. better for America, why is he doing things like that? Why is he not uh, putting Americans to work? And that's actually an excellent point, you know, and Romney even admits that that point is probably going to get used against him later. Um, yeah, you know, because this is the guy that we're supposed to trust the, the government to, we're supposed to trust the economy to him, and he openly endorses and understands that this is how it's going to get done, you know, that this is just how workers are going to be. And that's why when people suggest to me that, you know, the, the libertarian method, the free market method or whatever, that basically when they deregulate stuff, they're talking about deregulating things in and including the kind of workers' rights that labor unions got for us before they were corrupt. Okay? Like the fact that it's illegal to put that many people in one room who are working for you. You know, the fact that it's illegal to not pay these people a fair wage. You know, that's well, what deregulation does. The other thing that surprises me is, you know, this guy's obviously everyone that knows knows he's a Mormon, right, uh, right. which is <laughs> I won't even go off on that tangent. But let's just say his value set is based on some biblical uh, be kind to others, you know, help other people, things like that. And. <laughs> It's more like help himself. Well, I mean, I bring that up because where where is that in his platform? You know, every time he opens his mouth, he is condemning. Uh, you know, he's he, first of all, he's separating the classes. He's uh, putting himself in the elite category that we're better than you lower class working people. And you don't deserve anything, and we deserve everything because we're the we're the money makers and we're the hard workers and blah 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 blah. So so having said that, where does his value set that I would assume comes with any you know any type of caring religion? 
Where does that come into play? Because I don't see it. You know, that's actually... uh, Do you remember the Rudy Davis interview? I don't, know. Okay, that was the guy that made the video entitled uh, Jock Fresco is an evil chimpanzee from hell sent to deceive you. No, I missed that one. Okay. Yeah. I remember. Okay. Yeah, I had that guy on, and you guys were in the chat room just like... Chomping at the bit, wanting to get this guy. And I was like, no, no, let, let me do this. But the, the Rudy Davis guy, he was a Christian, and he was also a fan of Ayn Rand at the same time. And I talked about that, and I said, hey, oh, by the way, Greg, I'm echoing a little bit on your side. Just so you know. Okay, I'm not sure why. Okay, but yeah, I'm seeing, whenever I talk, I'm seeing you get highlighted. But anyway, um, he flat out said that, you know, he understood the contradictions. Yeah, there we go, it went away. Um, between Ayn Rand and his beliefs in Jesus. You know, and there's been a lot of memes that I've passed around recently about how you can't have Ayn Rand and Jesus at the same time. Now, the reason this is relevant is that Ayn Rand was all about I mean, the lady literally redefined this selfishness as a virtue. I mean, that's not some play on words. She literally says that in her book. Okay. So, and that's essentially how these people do this. They they manage to rewrite Christianity to mean selfishness. That that, that anybody who is lazy or whatever, they, they've always got all these ways to demonize the, you know, the lower caste. You know, that that Jesus isn't talking about them. And that's why... I usually tell people, well, why don't you go back and watch, I mean, even if you don't agree with everything Michael Moore says, he has this really great moment in one of his films where he overdubs the voice of Jesus, and they bring this guy to Jesus who needs to be cured, and Jesus says, I cannot cure your pre-existing condition. (laughs) He'll have to pay out of pocket. So that's my comment to what you said, Greg. Did you have a comeback for that? Uh, No, no. Not really. It's just, it's laughable. That's why I'm giggling because it's just, it's so laughable. The contradictions, <laughs> one after another, after another, after another. It's just, and and the sad part, the shocking part, shockingly sad, if you will, is the people that are so blind, deaf, and dumb that just don't even see uh, the blatant contradictions in his rhetoric, you know? Well, um, furthering uh, basically what we were saying here is we're going to talk a little bit about the contradictions also just in the election system itself because Jesse Ventura talks about that. Um, and I usually have to kind of – I want to I say this again. I mean, I've brought this up on a couple different shows, but, you know, when you're talking like – when Terry was talking about the, the issue of would Romney be worse um, – I think that, you know, four more years of Obama is not going to be great. Um, I think that one thing that activists are are doing that really bothers me, though, is when they act like getting rid of Obama will suddenly make things better. Like, they're not talking about get rid of Obama and replace Obama with Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or, or Rocky Anderson or one of these alternative candidates. They're saying that it would be better that we get Romney for four years than it would be for us to have four years of Obama. And one of the main things they keep bringing up is drone strikes, as if drone mm-hmm. strikes weren't going on during George Bush's time in office, as if drone strikes would not have went on if we elected McCain, 
as if drone strikes will not continue if you elect Romney, which is ridiculous. Romney is even more gung-ho, because the Republicans and the neoconservatives usually are, about invading Iran, about, you know, all these wars, you know, he's right on board with the, you know, they're evil, you know, they, they think we're, you know, they're attacking us because we're free, they, they hate our freedoms, so that's why they bomb us and, you know, suicide bomb us and all that crap. You know, I actually put a really funny clip, uh, not a clip, it was a picture on my Facebook recently, where it was a parody on the New York Times, and it says, uh, Poll taken in the Middle East reveals that they hate us because we bomb them. <laughs> and it had this thing from the Pentagon. Pentagon official says, my God, we had no idea, you know, that it, it has something to do with that. I mean, we can talk a little bit about that, that YouTube video later at some point, the, uh, the YouTube video talking about Islam, and that's why they're doing all this terrible stuff. I mean, obviously, nobody on, on this broadcast, I would think, is very pro-religion, but in, in any case, it, it's... We're leaving out the truth of it. You know, Aaron Hawkins, actually, Storm Clouds Gathering, just did a video on this. It was really good, um, you know, about the, the subjects of why the Middle East is really mad at us. But um, before we get on too many other tangents, uh, you know, do you guys have any comments on what I just said? Yeah, it's all to do with the film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's all because of that, that video on YouTube. And I'm not saying that that didn't contribute, because I'm sure that it did, but it's it's smokescreen, honestly. You know, I could get annoyed about a video on YouTube, even if I was a religious zealot. I guarantee you that that doesn't make me anywhere near as mad as holding my dead child as they're dying in my arms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Priorities. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, last, last, I'm echoing I'm again, but... uh. Last uh, Romney quote from this particular uh, thing. Now, you guys are going to have to kind of pay attention to why I felt this clip was relevant, but uh, this will get you. We speak with, with voters across the country about their perceptions. Those people I told you, the 5 to 6 or 7% that we have to bring out on our side, they all voted for Barack Obama four years ago. So, uh, and by the way, when you, when you say to them, do you think Barack Obama is a failure, they were wondering, they say no. They like him, but when you say, are you disappointed that his policies haven't worked, they say yes. And, and because they voted for him, they don't want to be told that they were wrong, that he's a bad guy, that he's a bad thing, that he's corrupt. These, those people that we have to get, they want to believe they did the right thing, but he just wasn't up to the task. They love the phrase that he's over his head. But if we're, when we, but you see, you and I, we spend our day with Republicans. We spend our days with people who agree with us. And uh, and these people are people who voted for him and don't agree with us. And uh, and so the things that animate us are not the things that animate them. And the, and the best success I have in speaking with those people is saying, you know, the president's been a disappointment. He told you he'd keep unemployment below 8%. Hasn't been below 8% since. 50% of kids coming out of school can't get a job. 50%. 50% of the kids in high school, in our 50 largest cities, won't graduate from high school. What are they going to do? These are the kinds of things that, that I can I can say uh, to, to that audience that, that they nod their head and say, yeah, I think you're right. What he's going to do, by the way, is try and vilify me as someone who's been successful. Or who's, or who's you know, closed businesses or laid people off and isn't an evil bad guy. And that may work. 
<laughs> yeah, it might work because it's kind of true. <laughs> uh, but let me, let me comment a little bit on the things that he said. First of all, um, notice that he brings up, I guess you could call it a red herring, the idea of unemployment, that he's disappointed in Barack Obama because Barack Obama claimed that uh, unemployment was going to stay below 8% during his, you know, uh, term and that that didn't happen. You know, remember that this is the same guy that, you know, we just played a clip from where he flat out admits to using outsourcing and, you know, sweatshop labor in China. So it's Barack Obama's fault that we're unemployed. It's not the business practices of businesses that are knowingly creating unemployment's fault. It's not all the people sitting at that table that are handing him hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign donations who probably do the same. You know, like he said, you know, they, they, we tend to hang out with people like us, people who agree with us, you know, us, us, as he's talking to that group of rich people sitting around him. Okay. And, you know, they don't agree with us. Well, of course not, you know, because we understand that unemployment, and this is this is another thing about the election system and, and all that that just drives me crazy that I continue to have to talk about this. Any politician who is telling you he is going to create jobs is lying to you unless he's willing to do one of the one of the following things. One, outlaw outsourcing. Two, reinstitute tariffs, which was a system that the quote-unquote founding fathers had put in place to protect the economy, as in it's a tax on foreign-made goods that um, is designed to make any products that are made, manufactured elsewhere the same price as the ones manufactured here. The tariff system was in place when the Constitution was put in place. It was used for a long time to protect the local economy, but that's part of deregulation. They deregulated that, and so now not, it's not only is it not as you know not only is it more expensive to manufacture here, you know it's ex hugely more expensive, you know because here people like to be treated like human beings and not slaves. So, okay, combined with this, you know his issues, you know about how, you know as he said in that video, it's my job not to care about those people, you know, it, it's my job not to care about the people that are never going to vote for me. I'm supposed to court these these independents or whatever who, you know, like he's literally only targeting like 6 to 7% of the vote is what he said. You know, that's what his whole campaign is geared towards is this small percentage of people that are actually going to sway the vote. He doesn't even give a damn about the 47%. It's his job not to give a damn about the 47%. You know, and that we're all entitled whiny bastards and that if we were good workers like those people in China – well, then we'd have a job. You know, <laughs> that's that's the translation. Uh, Gregory? Yeah, it goes back to the George Carlin clip you played at the beginning about uh, uh, where, you know, he wants us to... I mean, any government, any any government, as it, as it were, uh, do, you know, doesn't want to change things. They really, even though they say they want to create jobs, they want to do this, they want to uh, raise the... Um, standard of living for the middle class and lower classes i, I don't I, i'm sorry i i don't think that to be the case uh they want like he said obedient workers right uh, right people that won't question anything uh they'll be happy that they have a job even if it's uh for less pay and more hours uh 
they'll just be happier than they would have been if they had no job or or, uh, or on welfare or whatever. I don't know. It's just none of it makes sense. It's just so crazy. All right. Yeah. Terry? Well, yeah, quite agree with that. It's like here in the UK at the moment, the government are trying to get people that are classified as sick for work to go back to work by stopping their benefits to get assessed whether they can do certain things like set an alarm clock, operate a washing machine, walk upstairs, or even pick up a pound coin you know, bend down and pick up a pound coin. If they can do that, then they lose all their benefits and have to sign on for a job seekers allowance and go looking for work. And the reason that they decided to do this is because to try and get the economy back flowing or get the economy to work. And as we know, with the cracks appearing in the monetary system, it's not going to work. It doesn't matter what they do now. It's on the way down. So they can try and force people back to work, but what jobs have they got? Like here in the UK, it's like in the US, their jobs are disappearing at a a normal rate. Every day on the news, big companies are closing or laying people off because they can't afford them anymore, because the governments are squeezing it, and because of austerity measures that are being introduced here. Also with quantum easing being, uh, you know, the Bank of England doing quantum easing, like that's going to work. It's just going to decrease the value of the currency, which isn't worth anything, as we already know. Yeah, so you whole, actually whole... bring, up a, you bring up a good point going way back to Zeitgeist Denim when it talks about the fractional reserve system and how, yeah, yeah. how it's inevitable that this system will fail. It's inevitable the way it was set up, the way it's run, and it's just continually getting worse. The snowball effect is in full effect now. Uh, it's heading to the bottom of the hill. There's really no turning back. And for people to actually say that they're going to fix the economy, that the economy is going to improve, uh, are not only deluding themselves, but they're deluding anybody who cares to listen because it's just not the case. And uh, which brings up another point that we can talk about Romney being a bad guy, Obama being a bad guy. Blah, 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 blah. They all believe that what they're doing is, is a good thing, is the right thing. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's the system that is faulty. It is the system that is inherently faulty that needs to change. The people don't matter, really. They're, they're just, as George Carlin said, they're just put there to give you the illusion that you have a choice. Yeah, the yeah. next They'll actually, the, I'm going to close the, the show later with another clip from Carlin where he's talking about the illusion of choice. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. Did you have something more, Terry? Well, I was just saying, because I remember the clip and all that, and it's like it's like Gregory said, it's, it, once it's broken, it's not going to fix. It's like the monetary system's um, planned obsolete. You know, it's, bound to, it's going to happen anyway. It's like a lot of people ask me questions, so, you know, why does... Certain things break down at certain times, especially when they're guaranteed, because it's planned to. And sometimes they say, no, it isn't. They can't do that, but they can. There's a little gizmo in certain um, products that have a timing mechanism. And after so many uses, they just back up. It's, Check out. It's, 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 you know what? It's, yeah, yeah. The system that we're in, the monetary system, demands that. So yeah, for yeah. people to say it doesn't happen... Or it does. It doesn't. It, it of course it happens. The system demands uh, 
constant consumers, constant uh, uh, planned obsolescence. It's the it's it's inherent in the system. It's built in. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody seen the um, thing? Uh, what's it called? Um, something to do with pyramids. Um, pyramid of waste or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a guy in there with a printer that's gone wrong. All he finds out in the end is just a small little chip in the printer that's gone. That's cut the whole thing out. And by going online through a Russian site, he finds uh, a program to demobilize it and make his printer work again. When in fact, if he had gone to the shop and taken the shop's advice, he would have to buy a whole new printer. Instead, he just fixed the one that he had through the through um, on searching online to find a way to make that printer work. You know, it's really funny. You know, you're right. It's really funny that you bring that up. I just want to interject just to bring this up. Uh, I gave that video, Pyramid of Waste, the light bulb conspiracy, to Stefan Molyneux. Um, yeah. In response to him saying that uh, planned obsolescence was a fallacy. And uh, he then later went, you know, I asked him, like, hey, you watched that, right? Because he, he told me when he was watching it, and I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I did. And I was like, so what do you think? You know, so is plan obsolescence still a fallacy? He's like, well, I mean, who makes it a light, a light bulb the last 100 years anyway? You know, like it was crazy. That's right. Right. Like it's just some terrible idea to make a light bulb the last for 100 years anyway. I mean, who cares? You know, like he didn't – he basically acknowledged and admitted that it was true. I mean, he didn't argue with the validity of it. But, you know, remember that these are people that their whole, like, life system depends entirely – on the idea that that there are these guys, these old economists, and they know everything, and they're telling us because in their books in the 1940s, you know, or earlier, I might add, you know, that plant obsolescence is a fallacy, you know, that that they've they've shown it to be true that you know that uh, technological unemployment is a fallacy because it was false when people were complaining about the cotton gin. I'm like, mm. come on, man, the cotton gin. You know, we're not even talking about the same thing here. But, you know, let me actually segue a little bit here into an article that just came out on Gizmag, uh, one of my favorite uh, places, actually. You guys should consider subscribing to Gizmag if you haven't already. Uh, Baxter Industrial Robot aims at bringing automation to smaller manufacturers. Okay, these robots, like, basically are designed for, you know, the smaller jobs, and they're hoping that small business people will be able to use them. But, okay, let me go ahead and read it. Ordinarily, when we think of places where industrial robots are used, we picture the factory floors of deep-pocketed corporations such as Ford or or Honda. That could soon change, however, with today's announcement of the Baxter robot. Made by Boston-based Rethink Robotics, it costs about half as much as most of the least expensive industrial robots currently on the market. Also, it is reportedly very user-friendly. No robotics experts or custom software are required when teaching it new tasks. According to the company... The two-armed robot can be trained just as you would teach a person. This means that a regular factory worker could teach Baxter to perform a new task by physically guiding it through the required motions within less than a half hour. No code writing required. Once it has learned a task, it is said to be able to apply common sense to what it's doing. If it should drop an item, for instance, it will realize that it needs to get another one in order to complete its task. That claimed common sense along with various integrated sensors allows Baxter to be aware of and to understand its surroundings. It is therefore able to safely work alongside humans, slowing down its actions when they enter its workspace, 
and ceasing its movements when unexpectedly making contact with them. Along with its price, one of the attractions for smaller manufacturers is the fact that the robot can reportedly be on the factory floor and ready for training in less than one hour after delivery. No additional hardware or software is needed because it can be trained in new tasks relatively quickly and can be mounted on an optional wheeled pedestal. It is conducive to performing several functions in several locations even within the same day. Owners will be able to expand the capabilities of their robots with regular software upgrades. Some of these updates will come courtesy of a development kit, which will allow people in the robotics community to develop new software. Baxter is available now for pre-order at 22000 U.S., with shipments scheduled to begin next month. The robot can be seen in the action in this video that's there below. You guys should definitely check that article out on Gizmag. Now, I don't want to go on a huge tangent because this isn't super <laughs> relative, but I did want to talk about the invention of this robot. Because when you're watching the video in regards to this robot and the things that it can do, this is a video that you could, you know, this is a robot that you can put into a lot of different jobs that people are getting currently getting paid, you know, 15 to, you know, $20 an hour if, you know, sometimes to do. You know, and when you look at the price tag, twenty-two thousand, what's going to happen is, the you know, you're going to get to a point where employers are going to go, hmm, this robot will pay for itself in a year, maybe less. You know, and and then you don't have to, you you can train it in half hour. There are most people you can't train to do most things that way. So, you know, that's the other source of the unemployment that Barack Obama is supposedly supposed <laughs> to solve. You know, that that's the reason why I pointed that out was that. It's it's a red herring. It's it's a non-issue to suggest that Barack Obama is responsible for unemployment, or, or that the president is even in any place to fix it. Because the only other way that the government—and I forgot to say this earlier—the only other way of the other ways to make for a politician to create jobs is by doing things like the New Deal, you know, and building infrastructure, like you know, paying taxpayers will pay for things like say the Hoover Dam. And then we will get paid to make those things, you know, based with that current, you know, based with that, you know, that's the only other way a politician can create jobs. You know, um, what a free market guy would tell you is that the government's job is not to create jobs. It's to stay out of the way so that other people can create jobs. But that's it, we've already seen that if, if those people have their way, they will automate things. And if they can't do that, failing that, they'll go to places where people are willing to live in a room with 12 other people, sleep in bunks, you know, like uh, like a military barracks, is like we discussed earlier, and are willing to beg, borrow, and even try to sneak into the place to work. That's how bad they want to work. You know, that's the only thing that's competing with robots. So, And that's what they want us all to do. Exactly. Any comments, Gregory? No. <laughs> no. We can move on. Okay. Just, I'm la I, like I say, I just keep laughing at the ridiculousness of the whole thing. It, it, uh, it's just it's frustrating at times. Now, now um, some people basically, uh, they tell me, you know, you know, VTV or Neil, why do you uh, spend time even talking about the elections? And this is something that's actually kind of relevant, is that, the reason it's important, especially this, because I don't normally do this, it just so happens we got this insider video, you know, that we just played that, or rather, rather audio, that got to see inside the conversations that these people have with the people that actually own everything. Like, you know, George Carlin mm -hmm. talked about the owners. 
we got to take a look inside the conversations that he had with those people that we're not supposed to see. You know, and in those conversations, he literally talks about some voters not being important and all that other jazz. And we've been over that. And that's the main reason it's relevant is because this is kind of laying out how the whole system works. We are still being told, for example, that's why I brought that up, the unemployment thing is something that gets brought up in all kinds of elections, even though politicians are not even in a position to fix it. You know, they never have been. Um, so uh, that's basically the reason why I say that, the, you know, why is it relevant? Why are they arguing about this? It's because it continues to, you know, make us, uh, distract us into believing that the president is the cause or, you know, basically the cause of unemployment or the person who's responsible for fixing it rather than addressing the real reasons for unemployment, like outsourcing, okay, like mm. automation. They don't want us thinking about the truth, so instead we're thinking about crap like this. There are a lot of other hot-button issues, actually. Somebody put a picture together not long ago, you know, to remind you who's actually on the ballot. He, you know, there's a bunch of uh, people standing there in suits, and they've got heads that say Goldman Sachs and General Electric and all of that. And he points out, once again, all those things that don't change regardless of who you elect as president. You know, and one of them is unemployment, and, you know, and one of them is uh, all this fascist, uh, like, you know, NDAA and stuff like that, the Patriot Act. You know, these are all things that don't change. But we are conditioned to believe that it's all related directly to our president. And, I mean, even – let's just assume, for example, that the election system works. This is how bad the rabbit hole in this – you know, how far it goes down is that most people are ignorant of the fact that even if they did get a president, you know, who they wanted, if they didn't elect a congressman and a senator in their area who's going to go to the Congress and Senate and back that president, it doesn't matter one damn bit because the system has another failsafe, which is the Congress and the Senate – which most people don't even know who the hell their congressman or senator is. You know, I learned that when I was running for Congress. You know, and even if the president does get elected, they always leave off the table what the Congress and the Senate has done. You know, um, for example, the Republicans filibustered a – I talked about this actually in my September 11th show um, – filibustered a measure to try to give extra money to the 9-11 first responders who are now coming down with cancer – you know, and all kinds of other really bad health problems from the dust, um, you know, they filibustered that forever to try to get the Democrats to vote the way they wanted on something else. You know, this is the kind of uh, crap that goes on in party politics. The very first president of the United States, George Washington, the only independent president in the history of the United States, in his farewell address said, you know, I'm very wary of the party system. I'm concerned that people will start making decisions based on what's good for their party and not what's good for their country, that they will make decisions based, you know, based on their party and not, you know, like, like basically is like I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm Labor Party, whatever, you know, as opposed to I'm an American, you know, and everything he said came true, you know, everything about the party system absolutely came true. And that's why, you know, uh, Jesse actually, and I didn't record this, but Jesse Ventura, which is who we'll be talking about next, uh, was recently on The View, uh, that show with Diane Sora, Sawyer and you know, a bunch of other women, and they talk about stuff. And, you know, um, he says, you know, don't vote for a Democrat or Republican. And Diane, Sora looks, Diane Sawyer looks at him all confused, like, 
well, then who are we supposed to vote for then? You know, as if the Green Party doesn't exist, as if the Libertarian Party doesn't exist, as if the Constitution Party doesn't exist, as if Rocky Anderson, the Independent, does not exist. I mean, Diane Sawyer's attitude, Sawyer's attitude about it was as if they weren't even on the ballot, like there was no one else, okay? And once again, the, the system is broken, so even if we put Jill Stein in the presidency, you know, she's not going to, you know, both of, you're going to have a Congress and a Senate that at that point has it in their vested interest to, you know, both sides to make sure that she fails. You know, and that's actually what this is all about. The Republicans right now want everything Obama to do, you know, is trying to do to fail so that they can get a Republican president. You know, it's this, you know, and the Democrats will do the same thing, you know, by no, you know, no means like if you've got a Democratic uh, majority in Congress with a Republican president, then they'll do everything they can to, you know, just sabotage everything he's doing, even if it's something as simple as money for 9-11 first responders who are dying because they cleaned up ground zero, you know. Mm-hmm. And so any uh, final statements on the Romney issue before we move on? Greg? Uh, no, not really. Uh, uh, Terry? Nah, nah. Not at the moment, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so, moving right along, um, the uh, next clip I'm going to play is actually a little long, um, but so it's actually like 14 minutes long. So, you two gentlemen on the broadcast, make sure you listen just so you can comment, but you know, if you can listen while you're getting something to drink or whatever, feel free. Um, but this is Jesse Ventura. Um, now, he does talk a little bit of 9-11 truth in here, but for the most part, the stuff that he brings up is really good. And, and he's talking to a British guy from the BBC. So, Terry, you might find this interesting. I think, actually, you might you, you comment on this on this video earlier that it was a pretty good video. But he talks about how they had a, you know, like they were reporting on the BBC that Building 7 had collapsed like 30 minutes <laughs> before it collapsed. Which, even if you're not getting into 9-11 truth, will still make you go, hmm, you know. So, I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. And uh, the reason I'm I'm going to be getting into this is that Jesse Ventura, also on that uh, recent interview with The View, talked about the possibility of running for president in 2016. So, here we go. Now, my special guest, Jesse Ventura, and our live studio audience. Let's get another audience question. This time, Oliver Reynolds. Mr. Reynolds, over to you. That's no, Mr. Ventura. Hi. My question to you is, as a former Navy SEAL, do you agree or disagree with the recent release uh, book by the six-member SEAL team and, this, and the objections of the uh, Pentagon? Uh, I don't have a problem with it. The op was over over a year ago. And I feel I have a right to know what went on because our entire military is paid by my tax dollars. And I believe I have every right to know what they spend my tax dollars on. And I also would like to hear from boots on the ground. I don't want to hear from the media what happened in the op. I don't want to hear from bureaucrats in Washington what happened on the op. I would like to hear from boots on the ground, somebody that was, was actually there so that I can make a determination. But how did it help, Jesse, if, I mean, my brother's a British Army colonel and has done tours of Afghanistan, Iraq, and so on. Sure. How does it help operationally if all the guys around are all wondering who's going to put this in a book? I mean, surely well, they all sign up, don't they, to not write about their experience? Well, he's out now. He's a civilian now. And uh, I, I just, you know, to me, he has the First Amendment rights, or he should have them. 
uh, if he's not giving away anything that's listed under national security or that could affect anyone in the future operations, I say, why not? Like I said, I'd like to hear from boots on the ground what actually happened there, not some fragmented story that comes out of Washington telling me what happened. So I, I don't know. And besides you, the media and the SEALs themselves have allowed themselves to become like the Green Berets in the 60s and 70s now. I don't like the fact that you even know we exist, because back in the 60s and 70s, nobody even knew who we were. Well, that's out of the bag now. Hollywood's made plenty of films. You've had my friend Dick Marcenko, who created SEAL Team 6. Mm -hmm. He's written a half a dozen books. So if the creator of SEAL Team 6 can write books about what they do, what the heck? If he, if he doesn't put in jeopardy anyone, why, why is our government so up in arms about that he does this? What we're all agreed on is that the death of Osama bin Laden was a good thing. But, but be honest, is America any safer now than it was when he was killed? Or from all we're seeing now in the Middle East, all the uprisings, all the kind of reverse Arab Spring, if you like, are you concerned that it may be... A hornet's nest is getting out of control. No, because I think that lots of times these uprisings are orchestrated. I believe, I believe in the works of Colonel L. Fletcher Prouty when he said, nothing just happens, everything is planned. I truly believe that. And so these uprisings that are happening right now, we don't know really who's behind them. They could be our own CIA did we helping know, to do it. Right, well, who knows? Did we know who we were backing? I mean, that's one of the key questions. Backing at what? Well, in Libya, in Egypt. I have no idea. Know, all these countries. When you, uh, when you oppose a Mubarak or a Gaddafi or something, did we really know who these rebels were? And are we now, perhaps, well, seeing the, the results of not knowing too well who they are? We're here wanting to give democracy that peop to people who have lived, in my opinion, in the Stone Age. I think the bigger question to ask is, here we go, another religious war. Because most every war that happens on this planet is due to the fact of religion. One religion doesn't like the way another religion worships God, so we're going to kill you. I love religion, you know, and I say that sarcastically. Oh, hang on, I thought, I thought and you... I say that because I I've, op I've thought... openly admitted I'm an atheist. I thought you said earlier that all wars were about, you know, oil and, and corporations. They are, but they're all religious-based, too. So they're all about religion and oil and corporations. Could be, And sure. occasionally getting rid of the Nazis. Yeah. So my point is, well, the Nazis can be, wait, the Nazis, can be wait, wait. The Nazis was religious too. Look what they did to the Jews. So that brought religion in. Vietnam was religious because Diem, our puppet president, and our country brought a hundred Christian Vietnamese down to the south to be the government. Well, the southern Vietnamese didn't like these religious characters from up north, so they then became the Viet Cong. So. All wars, pretty much in my lifetime, have had some religious basis, but certainly big business gets in there because wars are very profitable to certain big businesses. And, of course, big business needs to be in the Middle East so that we can get the oil out of the Middle East, so we can get the lithium out of Afghanistan. You know they discovered a vein of lithium there 
they say is worth a trillion dollars. Well, what is lithium used for? Every cell phone, computer, and soon-to-be electric cars. Let's talk about why we're really there. We're not there. How does any of these wars affect our freedom in any way? The United States is not in any threat. They're not going to do a Normandy invasion on us, Al-Qaeda in Virginia. Yeah, but hang on, are you being slightly naive, aren't you? Because I'm not re- being naive, I sir. Are, I think you are being naive. No. Because I think that it's clear one of the main reasons that America went into Afghanistan was to try and get al-Qaeda dismantled, the organization which committed the 9-11 atrocity. Really? Well, you don't think so? Well, how come al-Qaeda put the heroin business out? They took all the poppy growers and stopped the production of heroin. What would you have done? Wait, now how much of that illegal heroin was propping up the international banks with laundered money and when it dried up, the first recession happened. Well, now that we're back in there, we aligned with the poppy growers, and the heroin business is back up full swing again. Okay. Well, I thought we fight a war on drugs here. All right, Jesse, Seems what, would, we're not. what would you have done on September the 12th, 2001? What would you have done if you'd been president? What would I have done? Yeah. I would have done a legitimate, a legitimate investigation to find out what exactly happened on 9-11. How did they know who did this? so quickly like they did Lee Harvey Oswald. How quick they knew Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy. Because the people who did it were identified and we knew who they were. Well, then why couldn't we have stopped them beforehand if they were identified and we knew who they were? It was a failure of intelligence. Everyone's accepted No, it wasn't. We knew before with Condoleezza Rice's memo on August 6th when it stated right in the memo, bin Laden took steal planes and run them into buildings. And more stuff is coming out now also, how much the Bush administration ignored the intelligence. It was almost like they ignored it because they wanted it to happen. Oh, come off it, Jesse. That's no, not oh, come off it. Every, wait a minute. Every war no, 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 starts no. with a false flag operation. You can't, in all seriousness, sit there and try and make out anybody. How, okay, let me ask you this, Piers. Wait a minute. Let me, wait, wait, let me ask you something. How, many, how much studying have you actually done of 9-11 other than what, what the government's told you and what mainstream media has told you? I was editor, I've been studying it for years. I was editor of a national newspaper. I've, I've talked and to people. we covered it in minute. depth every day for really? five, six months. Really? So I know a lot about it. Well, One thing I do come, know is let me ask you this you then. You cannot say that any member of the Bush administration knew it was going to happen or wanted it to happen. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Ridiculous. Okay, let's talk about your BBC. I have a tape of a BBC reporter broadcasting directly back to England talking about a third building has collapsed, World Trade Center Building 7, talks for seven minutes. All the while she's talking, World Trade Center Building 7 is still standing right behind her. It didn't fall for another half hour, yet they were doing a pre-broadcast back to England that, yes, it's true, that this building fell and it hadn't fallen yet. If you're trying to make out the British Broadcasting Company, one of the most respected news organizations in the world, was inventing huge buildings falling over, you, they need, to did. Have a little, you need to have a break, Jesse. We'll come back after the break Are and we'll talk about Israel me? and Iran. Are you Iran. kidding me? This is a fact, my friend.
Jesse Ventura live along with our studio audience. We left a fairly heated debate about various theories that you have about 9-11 and so on. Let's move on to... Oh, and the government only has a theory. Right, well, the government has... No, this is a theory. Their theory is 19 Islamic radicals armed with box cutters defeated our multi-billion dollar air defense system mm -hmm. all while conspiring with a bearded guy in a cave in Afghanistan. That is exactly what that's happened. That's their theory. No, that's not a theory. It's a fact. That's their theory. No, that's a fact. fact. That's what happened. Really? Yes. I'm Were sorry to kill your conspiracy theories, but that is what happened. Then why haven't anyone been brought up for trial? Because they, they haven't died. given one shred of evidence they all died. in the trial. In case you missed the story. Well, they then what do we died. got all these guys in Gitmo for? And we got the supposed confessor to it, who they waterboarded 180 times to get the confession. Got news for you, peers. If they waterboarded you 180 times, you'd confess to it. Now you're, you're missing the point. On that very point, I don't agree with Guantanamo Bay. I didn't agree with the waterboarding, personally. Let's move on. Let's move on right. to uh, Iran and Israel. If you were the American president, with all the jungle drums beating now about Iran, would you take any military action? Well, first let me state that Iran has to do this. Because if you notice, the United States doesn't mess with any country that's got nuclear capabilities. They only mess with countries that don't. So all countries that don't have it strive to get it because it's a safety mechanism to have it. So of course Iran's going to try to get the Should stuff. Should they be allowed to have it? Should they be allowed to? I don't know. Well, yes or no? I don't know. You're a man of opinions. No, I don't. I, I, you I, may be I, running for office. I'm, I'm entitled to know what you think. Not right now. You don't. I need to study it more. How very I need convenient. To look. Yes, it is very convenient. Do you know about everything that happened before 9-11, but right now when you have Iran potentially nuking itself up, you don't have an opinion? Well, let's leave that up to the nuclear inspectors that go in there. They will tell us whether they're nuking it up before you decide to bomb them. I didn't decide to bomb anybody. No, but you seem to be very favorable You're trying to put words it. into my mouth all the time, which is, it's, it's not a very good technique when you're debating with somebody. Just to stick you're to going to, well, How many political offices have you held? Uh, none. Then don't tell me how to debate, because I've held two. Oh, I've debated many times. But you've never won, you've never won an election where a debate I was required. I think you make some very sensible points, and you make some crackpot points. That's your opinion? Yes. How many people here think I make crackpot points? Yeah. One. How many think I make sensible points? You're in a minority, my good friend. You're the minority. Let's, I said you made some sensible points. Let's go to another audience question from Jared uh, Grossman. Ask your question, Jared. Hello, Governor. Yes. I'd like to know why you think that politics in America today why has it become so polarized and why has it become so hate-driven and how do you think we can fix that? Well, uh, politics in America, the problem, the major problem is the Democrats and Republicans, as I explain in my book, Democrats and Republicans, No More Gangs in Government, uh, they've created a system based completely on bribery. Now, if we do bribery, it's hypocrisy. If we do bribery in the private sector, we go to jail. Yet their entire political system is based upon bribery. Who can bribe and give the most money to the politician? And now, thanks to our illustrious Supreme Court that ruled that corporations have the same rights as individuals and that money is free speech,
Well, we're now being inundated with so much money from the corporations buying the Democrats and Republicans both sides that uh, look at this hypothetically. A foreign country could now control our elections because all they would have to do is form a corporation, start pumping money into the super PACs. Plus, there's no uh, you don't they don't have to say where the money comes from, which is criminal. Every every candidate should have to state openly, open disclosure, where they get every dollar. You're not getting that now. So the whole system is corrupted now. The Democrats and Republicans are at fault because they've been in charge for 150 years. They can't pass the buck on it. And until they clean up the system, that's what you got. It's bribery. Jesse, I'm shocked. I just agree with every word you just said. No, you just want to get the crowd back on your side. Not at all. Not at all. As I said to you, I agree. I'm teasing. I, I agreed with every word. I think the whole super fat thing is completely out of control. No, I, and you're right. In I, the end, China right now could finance a run for the presidential election with one of, uh, of their sponsored people from one of their companies. I, I, I think that this ruling could be the downfall of our country. And the only way, the only way we can stop it is to amend the Constitution. Yep, That's agree. the only way you can overrule the Supreme Court, and we need to do that. Let's take a break, Jesse. Okay. We'll come back and talk about uh, Clint Eastwood. The so that's the end of that particular clip. Um, <clears throat> I actually took a few notes on some things I wanted to talk about. Um, but uh, before I do that, I'm going to get some first responses from my co-hosts here. Um, Gregory? Yeah, he had a lot to say. I I, I like Jesse. Um, unfortunately, uh, I also like some ideas that Ron Paul bring up. I like some ideas that all of the guys bring up. And mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get to this. On, maybe on the closing statement, uh, but they all believe they're doing the right thing. And that's and, and Jesse uh, Ventura does too. Uh, unfortunately, he's still trying to utilize the broken system, the faulty system, to bring about change. And as those of us in the know know, it isn't going to work. No, so, you know, if, if he gets elected president next time, great. It, the country will probably improve to a very small degree in some areas and maybe not in others, but at the end of the day, I'll keep repeating myself, it's the system that needs to, to be restructured. Uh, he would certainly agree with you about that. Um, I, I would point out that you know, any value that I think that would come from a, uh, a 2016 Jesse Ventura for president, because we talked about that in, like, way back in 2008. He appeared at a Ron Paul rally and talked about wanting to run in 2012 and he said if the grassroots would get together and get him ballot access in all 50 states that he would do it because until then because he's not going to run as a republican he's not going to run as a democrat he will only run as an independent just like he did for governor um and uh the most that you even if we did get the ballot access and i i think that that's a worthy thing to do I think that the most that he could do, though, is basically the same things like Ron Paul did. Like, Ron Paul brought attention to the Federal Reserve. Um, most people now actually know about the Federal Reserve, and even the mainstream media is not lying about it anymore because they, they, they can't really get away with it. 
Um, they bring him on to talk about it, and there are other people talking about the Fed. And that was accomplished because of the Ron Paul 2008 presidential campaign. Um, even if Ron Paul had been elected, I, I don't think the guy would have been able to achieve anything, but it doesn't change the fact that you know, social consciousness, which when you think about it, is really what people like you and me and Terry are all about, raising social consciousness, is something that can be achieved through political um, campaigns because it gives you free attention, essentially. You know, when I was a libertarian candidate, I got invited on mainstream radio and TV just because I was a candidate. And they'll let you say pretty much whatever you want. You know, um, so like if you were, for example, were running as, say, a resource-based economy candidate, maybe you got nominated for the Green Party or something, you know, you're probably not going to win, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, you're going to end up on mainstream, you know, radio radio and video um, as a candidate. You're going to end up being talked to about your issues, and you can put whatever you want to up there, and it'll get more attention for your ideas. So I don't want anybody to think that I honestly believe that our silver bullet uh, solution is going to be to get Jesse Ventura to be the president, um, but there was a lot that I think would be accomplished during such an election. I mean, he was he he did get elected governor, you know, despite uh, you know any you know, what was against him. I think that his celebrity status certainly helped. Um, I mean, that's why they they said that if uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger could ever run, like if he was born in the United States, it'd be a landslide just because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know. Even if they didn't know anything about his policies, they would do it. You know, and that actually comes back to uh, something that Romney said earlier that I, I wanted to comment on and I forgot about, was that he pointed out that the voters that he was going to have to sway were going to be people that didn't even necessarily understand or know about the issues, um, that they were going to be people who voted based on emotion. Like, he literally admitted that it's a farce. Like, it goes back to that show that you and I, you know, and a couple of other people did the, on the subject of sheeple. You know, when we played the different reasons that people voted for people and the reasons that they said they were voting for people, you know, it, it's all it's all crap. You know, the average voter is not educated about these sorts of things, and it's 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 actually unfashionable to know about these things. It's a great way to get you know told that you're boring or you know, hey, don't bring up religion and politics. You know, we don't talk about those things here because those are the mechanisms of social control. I mean, they don't admit that part, but <laughs> Terry. Oh, yeah, but religion gets into politics as well, doesn't it? It works both ways. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, getting back to Jesse, absolutely fantastic video. I was absolutely glad to see that because the guy who was interviewing here in the UK is pretty well known, you know, on the BBC and stuff like that. And he's, well, I would like to say something really nasty about him, but I won't because he's a two-faced sort of... Uh, Journalist. That's the way you can see what he's on. He's a two-faced journalist, and um, he, like he goes to America because he's going to get more money. He quit the BBC, but he still does stuff with the BBC, and he's not going to change. His opinion is crap. It's mainstream media, full stop. Doesn't matter who he works for, he's on their side. Whether he was. Um, up, you know, talking about David Cameron or Nick Clegg. Oh, Nick Clegg, by the way, has apologised for going back on his promise about tuition fees here in the UK. Hmm. Nice of him. Bit late, but there you go. And all them people went shouting at buildings. Never made a difference. And that's what I say. Jesse is right on the mark. I've seen a lot of work by Jesse, and uh, and he always amazes me with his um, upfront, uh, outfront 
spoken words. He, he actually chooses the words very carefully, you know, how he's going to put it across to the general public and hope that his message gets across, which is absolutely brilliant. Oh, you know, it just amazes me how he got away with that on a mainstream media channel, for starters. I thought the guy that come running up behind him was going to tell him to shut up and follow the script, but he didn't, obviously. As Jesse goes, he opens his mouth and he just goes for it. Good on him. And if he ever stands for for um, presidency, I wish him every luck of it because he's a good one of the good guys. Okay, a lot of people say, no, he's not. He's on their side and he's working for them and they're pushing him forward to get both sides of the story. I like to see that. I like to see more evidence. It's like David Icke here in the UK. Okay, this coming October, non-advertising, the 27th in Wembley Stadium, David Icke is holding what he's calling a big conscious awakening, whereby he's going to talk about the whole system, the whole corrupted system, and everything. So if you haven't got your bum on the seat, you better get one. He's going to tell us how all the high-end government officials in our government are lizard people at night or some wacky crazy shit. No, I don't, I don't, no, no, I don't think he's going to say that, um, Greg. <laughs> I don't think he's going to talk about that. Um, he might mention it. He said he might mention it, but he might not. It depends, because he's also been talking about moon matrix and how the moon is a spaceship and all that stuff, which I can't see myself, really. Um, what else is it? Um, the government here, when they talked about the fun, funds and that here, the, the, anybody standing for an election has to declare who's sponsoring them or who's backing them, unless it's a private donation, which nobody's supposed to know about. But it eventually gets out. They do know about it. And, of course, a lot of politicians here have actually come unstuck through private donations. Or, uh, like Nick Clegg, and not Nick Clegg, and David Cameron, and Nick Clegg, sorry, went on a holiday on some rich Russian's yacht. It's mentioned in a couple of, in a song, which I can't remember what the title of it is, but I used to, I played it quite a few times. And um, they had a, a meeting with this Russian wealthy guy who actually helped their campaign both their campaigns and they both ended up in number 10 you got nick and uh, david cameron as the prime minister and you got nick clegg as his um puppet you could say and they're both puppets at the end of the day because they're all part of the same system the ruling elite it doesn't matter who gets in the plan still goes ahead it's business as usual once the voting's over end of story well, yeah, I agree with you there, Terry. Um, I, now, I guess, uh, let me go over some of these uh, notes that I put up. Um, first of all, he's an atheist. Uh, it would be really interesting to see an atheist candidate get up on the, uh, you know, to go through the media circus and to get to answer questions about atheism. Um, <clears throat> he brought up the issue about the lithium in Afghanistan, among other things, uh, the the various natural resources that were in Afghanistan that that likely motivated our interests, you know, as far as the United States and in invading that country. And uh, as I mentioned in the 9-11 episode, even if it was not an inside job, clearly there was a conspiracy to get us into Iraq and Afghanistan. And anybody who uh, wants to check that out, I, I once again urge you to, to Google the video, How to Create an Angry American, where they play the clips of 
politicians, you know, once saying he's got weapons of mass destruction and and he worked for Al Qaeda and he helped us with you know he helped help with September 11th and then later on saying oh no we never said that or just saying oh yeah uh, sorry we were wrong you know there was obviously a conspiracy to get us into Iraq and Afghanistan to take uh, control over uh, those natural resources. I mean, just on the basics of it, if you want to get Al-Qaeda, which is not a very huge group of people, um, invading their entire country that they live in is not really the most effective way to nab, like, you know, a dozen or so people. Um, It's a huge undertaking, and it requires a hell of a lot more control. When you think about it in the end, they got bin Laden with a small strike team that went into Pakistan, okay, if if that was really their goal, then they could have done the same thing with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. They could have done the same thing, you know, in Afghanistan. I mean, it, that a small surgical strike, which is something that Ron Paul talks about, you know, could have been the solution to the problem if they were really supposedly getting the guys involved with 9-11. Um, I do have to comment again on the guy dodging the Building 7 issue when – um. When Jer- when Chura brought that up, the guy's like, "You're saying the BBC is, you know, inventing that buildings fell down, and you know, and he's, that's not what Ventura said at all. What he said was, no. What I'm saying to you is, you guys are reporting that it fell down when it was still standing right behind you, <laughs> you know, which is once again, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, how do you make a mistake like that? You know, how do you make a mistake that tells you that a building has collapsed, you know, and then you report that it's collapsed?" when it's still standing right behind you. You know, it's just one of the biggest blunders in the history of uh, media. Um, broadcasting. Right. You know, um, I, um, go ahead. Neil, I, I, Neil, I actually remember seeing that when it was broadcast live. And I thought any, because she was talking away, and clearly you could see the building right behind her. And all of a sudden, it just went blank. It started off with a few little dots in the broadcast, and all of a sudden it just went, and the guy turns around and says, oh, see, we've lost uh, the reporter there for the moment. <laughs> Even now, the woman herself, the, the young lady happens in, in the video, actually denies that, even saying that, even doing that report. It's I, true. I she didn't know that. Denies, yeah, she actually denies that it was uh, on that, doing that. And then it came up as it's a, a they had a green screen behind her, and uh, it was a projected image, and it was the wrong one. Any excuse to say that, no, somebody handed the wrong script in at the wrong time? The wrong script at the wrong time. Yeah, right. because that's what it was. Yeah, thank you for handing me that <laughs> message that said that this was already taken down. But anyway, you know, um, getting back to my notes, uh, you know, I pointed this out earlier, waterboarding someone 180 times. Okay, something else he brought up in his video. I cannot imagine, I mean, I brought this up actually in the last show I did about 9-11. Anybody who doesn't understand what waterboarding is, I'm going to explain it one more time. Because there was a radio show host, and there's a funny video you can Google about this, really hardcore conservative radio show host out there who was like, oh, they're whining about waterboarding. Waterboarding's not torture. He's just pouring some water on your head or you know, like, he obviously didn't know what he was talking about, so he volunteered to be waterboarded. He was waterboarded for about 0.5 seconds before he immediately gave up. He's like, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Because it's, I'm putting a towel, a wet towel on your face, 
and I'm pouring water directly down your nose into your lungs, which immediately triggers your brain's um, we're going to drown defense. Okay. So one time, and that conservative reporter, radio host guy, flat out admitted, oh, my God, okay, it is torture. It's absolutely torture. I was wrong. You know, I got to hand it to him for admitting it. But at this point, he's already on video being waterboarded. And the dude shoots up, like, on the table. Like, he can't handle more than a few seconds of it. You know, and who could? Because it's terrible. Now imagine that happening to you 187 times. He was actually the number. You know. Yeah, you'd say anything. You know, I mean, literally, you would say anything to make it stop. Please, Please don't, don't pour more water into my lungs. You know. Oh, and you know where the CIA learned how to do that? Um, that was the Viet Cong did that to our POWs in uh, Vietnam. Not surprised. Right. So uh, he wants to study. This is an interesting kind of a, a Jacques Fresco moment where the guy asks him what his opinion is on Iran. And Jesse says, I'd have to study it more. You know, I, I'd have to know more. And he's like, well, you're a man of opinions, you know. Just thinking he just told you he doesn't want to have a half-assed opinion. He wants to know what the hell he's talking about, you know. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, uh, just like you said, Greg, uh, I don't agree with everything the guy says, but I don't agree with everything Ron Paul says. I think to me, the kind of uh, statesman is the word I would use, somebody who's interested in being part of the state, supposedly for trying to make it work for everyone. Um, I can live with not agreeing with everything they say as long as I believe that they are sincere and that they really care. You know, um, I honestly think that Ron Paul, for example, in his misguided view that we don't need insurance because he himself would make out, you know, like he would work things out with his poor customers, like the customers who would come to him and didn't have a lot of money because he would do that when he was a doctor. And I believe him when he says that. I believe that he thinks that that could work. I've had a doctor, actually, who used to work stuff out with me if I couldn't afford, you know, to be, you know, to pay right away. Um, I also know that there's a great majority of people, medical professionals out there that are not going to do that for you. Um, and so uh, that being your policy for how to handle poor people and them not being able to pay for their health care is misguided. I honestly believe Ron Paul believes that it would. I think he cares. I just think that it's a misguided belief. And there are other politicians who are the same thing, but at least they're sincere. At the end of the day, they're sincere. I'm going to say one more thing on this health care issue. A friend of mine works here at the, the pharmacy here in the city that I live in. And this is not in the ghetto, I might add. Um, this is in the country. And he works at a CVS pharmacy. And he was a paramedic before that. Um, it wasn't paying as well, as you can imagine. Um, and... Uh, so he comes in to this drugstore, and he says, hey, um, can I get some disinfectant? You know, he buys, like, a, a bottle of disinfectant, and the guy's like, what happened to you? You know, he's got blood all over his hand. His hand's wrapped in bandages. He's like, well, I just accidentally cut my thumb off. And my friend is like, what? Well, go to the hospital. Are you crazy? You know, where is it? You know, because he's a paramedic. He's like, I can't afford the insurance. I, I can't afford the money. I, it'll cost too much. So this guy spends a few dollars to get himself some disinfectant because he doesn't have any insurance, okay? 
you know, in fact, I went to the doctor just the other day and there was a guy who came in and his foot was bleeding all over the floor and, and he was in an urgent care and they wouldn't treat him because he didn't have insurance. You know, so anyway, you know, to those of people out there who, who don't think that's a real problem that can happen to people, you know, um, rethink your thoughts. You know, so basically an honest guy, even if I don't agree with him, if I believe he cares, I would be willing to support someone like that. I wouldn't necessarily vote for them, but I think that, you know, I think that's the basic difference between one of the major differences anyway, between what we do, we talk about when we talk about the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist Movement, when we talk about how people should be selected for certain jobs, you know, it should be based on their competence in that area, which is not something we currently require of politicians at all. Um, you know, they should actually know something about the thing that they're making all these decisions about is not something that we make a requirement whatsoever. Um, you know, even Ron Paul, like uh, Senator Gravel told me, well, do you think that Ron Paul being an obstetrician helped him understand the economy? You know, because he's, <laughs> he's a baby doctor. Um, the other thing that's different is that, you know, obviously we have a holistic uh, approach where we care about everybody in the environment and we're trying to improve their lives. Okay, and that's our goal. It's not Mitt Romney sitting at a table full of people that are all in the 1% saying, I'm going to help to facilitate, and I care about the future of everyone sitting in this room. It's my job not to care about the people who are among the 47% who are never going to vote for me anyway, um, you know, because they, they're victims of the system, you know, whatever. You know, it, it's not going to be, you know, the other side of it, which would be sometimes you'll run into people, for example, and this is why I say, although I understand socialists, socialism and communism are not the Venus Project because of the fact that they would just lobby for unrealistic um, welfare programs that you can't fund in a system that doesn't have any money. And it doesn't have any money because nobody has any money to be taxed in the first place. We dealt with that here in Michigan when the entire government almost closed down because there was no money to be taxed in the first place. So taxing people in an existing monetary system is not the solution either. We need to redesign this culture from the bottom up. You know, I think that we can get some attention through politics and through politicians. And, you know, if somebody asked for my help for a ballot access drive to get Jesse Ventura on the ballot here in Michigan, I'd probably help. Um, you know, I'm probably going to vote green this time around. And I, I generally advise people in the Zeitgeist Movement to consider doing that even if it's just to give more validity to the ideas of the Green Party, which for the most part are in concurrence with ours. I did a show about that. If anybody wants to check it out, it's in the archives about the Green Party and the Venus Project. Um, but at the end of the day, I come back to that. We would care. We give a damn. You know, um, A lot of these other people really don't. And more to the point, the system, as Jesse Ventura pointed out, is not designed to facilitate you giving a damn. It's designed for you to be bribed. And anybody who essentially turns their back on corporations that are the people who actually get people elected is essentially volunteering to lose the next election. You know, they're volunteering to lose their jobs. And then the other thing that I put in here that he has a very valid point about, I mean, mind you, I'm a worldly thinking person, but the fact is a government could invest money in a corporation, and then the corporation could in turn fund the campaign 
of a politician in another country. You know, at that point, you know, rich people in any country can get someone elected in another country. And that's just insane. You know, the the notion of that is just crazy. You know, uh, so uh, that's my spiel on that. Did you have something to say, Terry? No, I'm just screaming with you on that, you know, at the moment. Greg? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, toward the end of what you're saying, when you touched on the whole uh, um, uh, issue of monetary donations, I, I think that that being a determinant of <laughs> who wins or who doesn't is, is so ludicrous in and of itself. And, and all the corruption and bullshit that literally spawns from that. But that's at the core. The fact that he who he who puts the most money into his campaign is probably going to win. Uh, you know, there, there's the problem right there that that roots out into thousands of other problems, in my opinion. Absolutely, I don't disagree at all, and that's it's one of the reasons why when anarcho capitalists suggest to me, now mind you, these are people who want no government that we should just deregulate everything and just allow people with money to make all the decisions and, you know, and, and through all the influence. And they're like, oh, well, that's not how it'll happen. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Money is, is, is power on paper. And if we're going to have people who have crap loads of it, and then we're going to have people who don't have any, inevitably the people who have all of that are going to have power over the people who don't. And, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, it's like here at the moment. Um, every day I get an email asking about national health insurance, have your health insurance and all that sort of thing. Uh, insure your pam- family for less than a pound a day. Every day. In now, So you're, the American idea of having medical insurance is coming here to the UK and is slowly gathering pace. So they want us all to have medical insurance so they could scrap the NHS or the National Health Service. So they can go away with it, saving themselves, well, billions of pounds, I suppose. But people like the National Health because, like you're saying, people go, you know, into doctor surgeries or into pharmacies, you know, looking for uh, medical care for, like, chucking their thumb off or something like that. Here, you can just walk into a hospital and get treated straight away, whether you've got medical insurance or or whether you haven't. haven't. Right. And therein lies the whole problem of that in and of itself. As soon as uh, the healthcare system became monetized. As soon as it turned into a business, it's it's gone downhill from there. It literally has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say about that, Greg, because um, that's what is actually happening now. Okay, that, because if the government control national health service, they can um, cut certain funding for certain hospitals, like they have done now. They've turned them into trust funds whereby, like you said, it becomes a business from there onwards. Now, before, like in the past, you could go into a hospital car park and park for nothing at all. Now, as soon as you get there, you've got to buy a ticket to park your car for an hour. Then you've got to go back, if you're there for longer than an hour, to top that meter up. And so it goes. And that's the whole military system. Once it's a business, that's it. Everything, like you said, goes downhill. And it is going downhill. So when Barack Obama talked about having the National Health Service over there, I thought, oh, here we go. Next it will be a trust. After that, 
it's a business and it'll just go back to the way it was. Everybody has to have medical insurance to pay for their treatment. Mm. It never ends, does it? Yeah, it's a simple, basic uh, requirement for people to be able to get by, and it's it's something that I've only done so well on because of the fact that I'm in an income bracket where it's easier for me to get help, and I have kids. Uh, all of my single friends, my bachelor friends and bachelorette friends, you know, I watch as they, you know, like I've got one guy who's been, at, he's had the same like chest cold thing now for like two months. And we're like, man, something else has got to be going on with you. And, and he's like, yeah, I know, nothing I can do about it. You know, I, I just, it's, I don't think that, especially the ones who are on the top here, and that was actually one of the major points when we come back to that 47% thing, is that people like Mitt Romney, like he admitted in that same conversation that he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, you know, they don't have any concept, nor would they, ever have any concept of what it's like to live without health insurance, of what it's like to be able to tell your children if you can't, you know, if for some reason, you know, I'm sorry that you're sick, sweetie, nothing we can do for you. You know, that doesn't happen in the United States, but it happens in a lot of other countries, you know, to be able to saw off your thumb and reconcile that it would be better for you to simply not have a thumb than for you to put up with having to, you know, pay a doctor bill later, you know, and that's the kind of things that these people, it's not even on their radar, you know, how are they ever supposed to relate to you? And that's why I say, you know, when was the last time we had a poor president, you know, and they, nobody can give you the answer to that. We've had presidents who claim to be rags to riches people like, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln and I remember being, you know, heavily propagandized about him when I went to school is they portrayed him as this guy who who was really poor and, you know, he he used to he lived in a house that had a dirt floor, you know, and they told stories about him doing his sums or practicing his math on a shovel that he was etching on with a nail, you know, just to give us this story that we when we were younger that no matter how poor you are if you work hard enough, you can go anywhere in this country. You know, that that's what they tell people. What they tend to leave out of that same story is that there is a good deal of luck that comes along with that. Because I know people like my mother who worked three jobs most of my childhood um, who worked their butts off and are still poor. You know, so... Mm. <laughs> You know, like uh, just like uh, Patty Jo Shannon from the National Socialist Movement in the movie, uh, oh, what was it? Um, Capitalism and other kids stuff. He said you can work mm, hard all your right. life and still be poor when you're done. Yeah, when you were talking about make, um, uh, invention stories, it reminded me of North Korea, where the so-called new president or dictator um, had to have a story made up of how he was so great or how he was such a big hero. They had to make a story up, a fictitious story about his so-called heroic deeds to impress the public. Crazy. And his predecessor, his father, also had the same treatment done to him. And they even got a bench in a park, believe this or not, that's under a cover, under a glass dome. And you can't even sit on it. It's in a glass dome. It's a monumentous uh, trophy of, that he hacked 
literally sat on that bench while walking in the park for two minutes. Crazy. Right. Well, no, and that's and that's not unique to China. Um, we had, I think it was one of the Roosevelts, who like they told this story that he supposedly charged up this hill during the Spanish-American War, and then when you study it, you find out it's all crap. It didn't even happen. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, apparently that was actually done by a black soldier, and they <laughs> just covered it up. You know that it was this other guy that did it. You know, um, and and that's also another thing when we talk about how. Do these politicians, could they ever relate to us, is like on the issue of military service. Almost none of these people have ever been in war. They don't know what it looks like. You think rich people let their kids go to war? You know, not if they can afford it. You know, of course not. You know, it's actually like uh, General Wesley Clark was a uh, candidate for president for the, he ran as a Democrat. Uh, a long time ago, I think that was the year that Kerry ended up winning the Democratic nomination. And, um, you know, it occurred to me that he was one of the few candidates I've ever seen in recent years who's actually ever been to the battlefield and knows what it looks like. You know, so when Mitt Romney, you know, who, as he said, oh, well, uh, no, I didn't go to Vietnam. I was um, I was busy being a missionary doing service for my church. You know, uh, yeah. translated draft dodger, um, you know, or whatever. Uh, of course, he has no clue what it's like to go, you know, to Fallujah or any of these other places that he inevitably would end up giving orders to, you know, that no no way for him to ever relate to or understand the needs or or lifestyle of veterans. Gregory? Yeah, kind of hard to relate to people when you've never been in that situation. I agree there. You know, another thing I've been sitting here thinking about, and maybe you hadn't planned on bringing this up uh, on the show, but it kind of came to mind when you mentioned uh, black people, and that's this recent, uh, and I, of course, I don't follow any of this stuff. I hear little snippets here and there, but something to the effect of uh, they're denying uh, voter registration to like hundreds of thousands of black people all because they can't get or don't have an ID. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's, uh, a, that's called real ID. Um I actually I think I talked about this on a previous episode. Um if not I know I linked it on Facebook, but there's a prominent Republican in the state government in Pennsylvania who literally is quoted as saying Real ID, which will allow Governor Romney to win the election, done. As in, they know flat out that they're doing what you're talking about to attempt to make sure that Romney can win the election. And it's, and it's go ahead, Greg. I'd say exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Nail on the head. Um, how much more corrupt can you get than that? Right, and it's and when you think about it, it's because they know, and I know what it's like. When I lived in Pontiac in the ghetto, and I was at the bottom of the rung, there were times I could not even afford to get my ID or driver's license. You know, um, and if you, in some cases, you know, especially like you know, if you were born out of state, you got to pay for the um, the you have to pay the price for the uh, birth certificate to be sent to you. Because that's required. Um, 
and you have to get all these other documents together, and then there's a fee. You know, so when they say, oh, it's like 10 bucks to go get your ID, they're not really talking about all of the other things that are involved in that. Anytime I want to get my birth certificate, it costs me like 50 bucks, which doesn't sound like much, but a lot of the voters that they're trying to disenfranchise and get out of the race are the people who are homeless or whatever who may not even have any access. You know, the people who are in the bottom rung who can't afford to pay that for something little luxury like, you know, voting. Um, and it is it is definitely, and the funny thing actually is that that brings up another point um, of something else that Romney said in that conversation was that he'd have a much easier time in the race if he was a Mexican. <laughs> like, he just spat that, that out. Uh, right you know and once again these are the things that politicians say when they don't think you know the average person is listening which is the reason why it was relevant to me to take this insider look into the mind of Mitt Romney you know and and that's basically I think uh, you know one of the reasons I brought this up was that you know you're dealing with the people who are who are the owners you know as uh George Carlin said, the owners of this country, you know, the real owners, uh, the people who actually run all this stuff, you know, as uh, Peter Joseph pointed out in Zeitgeist Addendum, I mean, have you ever noticed, you know, how all of these seemingly unknown individuals suddenly surface when it's time to decide who our president is, you know, um, who all come from the same income bracket and generally, although there are differences, usually have the same basic world view, you know, that, and that's the choices that you're given. That goes to the illusion of choice, which is what we'll be talking about, or rather George Carnell will be talking about as the show ends. But um, it's, it's really, when you think about it, uh, a system that has been designed. It's not just about could we get people elected. It's that we're being convinced that getting someone elected actually has a hope of actually changing or doing anything. You know, the system is not designed to facilitate a politician making changes. And you know how you can usually tell what politician was trying to make changes and almost got there? They're usually the ones who got shot in the head. Yeah. Yeah. So, any further closing comments? Uh, no, I'm good. Terry? No, no, I'm quite good. Except check out my videos, my uh, radio podcast, please, and pass them on to your mates and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was actually going to ask both of you to do that. But go ahead and give them a URL. Do you have a website or something they can go to, Terry? Yeah, it's uh, talkshoe.com, uh, ZMUK Radio. You just put it in for, in the search there, and it's the first one that crops up. And for the videos, you go to Bambuster, and that's ZMUK TV. Okay, and there's plenty of videos there. There's 12 of them. There's one in the making. Now, let me translate British to English for a moment. For those of you who are American and don't know this, Z means Z. So, Z-M-U-K. Yeah, or Zeitmuck, as Dinette says. <laughs> So uh, speaking of Danette and uh, uh, Gregory, please tell them where they can uh, find your show. Uh, actually, we're not doing a regular show at the moment. We're okay. developing a couple of new uh, media-related 
projects. One of them, obviously, is ZBN. Uh, you can find us on Stitcam currently, which could change at any given moment if they keep doing what they've been doing. Uh, so just go to Stickcam and do a search for ZBN Live, and you'll find us there. Uh, we're still working on our website, so I don't give out that URL only because uh, it needs quite a bit of work. And I guess uh, for any listeners out there, for anybody that is uh, knows about w- uh, web design or web development that has some time to donate, we'd sure appreciate uh, that we're looking for a web developer to help us with that. You can contact us, ZBN Network at live.com. Excellent. Now, um, you guys still have archives, though, of, of other of older shows and stuff that people can oh. check out, right? Oh, yeah. You can go uh, on Vimeo and mm-hmm. see um, all the archives from all the Z radio broadcasts, video broadcasts. Uh, you can go to TalkShoe and find Z Radio's archives, all the audio archives from the from the first show two, three, two and a half, three years ago, are all there. Um, so that's uh, where you can find Z Radio archives. Z Radio, however, is uh, we haven't made the formal announcement. I guess I could uh, make an informal one now, but Z Radio is probably um, going to do one more show. It'll be our final uh, series finale, if you will, uh, and then we're going to move on to these other projects and evolve into some other uh, ways of broadcasting. I've got a brand new system. Uh, I'm able to do uh, 200% better quality than we were doing before, um, and we've got the software now. No more watermark like we used to have. Things are really improving, and we've got some really fantastic ideas Danette and I do on um, some things. I, I just don't want to reveal it yet because we're not really ready to, but we've got some really good ideas on a couple projects that I think are going to explode uh, out there and people are going to get very excited about. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, an explosion of uh, of weapons of mass information. <laughs> so, um, but It's going to be about it. It's literally going to be a, a, a global effort and... Uh, <laughs> The goal is to have it going 24 hours a day. So we'll see. Yeah, count me in, Greg. Yeah, Gregory, looking, count me in. You're already in, dude. You're already in. Yeah, right? yeah, I don't do. Mention that you also do your live broadcast on Stickcam on the ZBN Network channel. Yeah, I was just going to say that as well. Yeah, you can find me on Z on ZBN as well on live. I'm working on a live show, Gregory. That's awesome. You know, you guys both do great shows, and it's really important that uh, alternative media cross-promotes, which is why I was actually uh, I was talking to Charlie Veach a little bit. I, I thanked him for wearing his V-Radio T-shirt when he had a picture taken of himself and his son. I mean, obviously it wasn't intentional, but I joked with him about having a V-Radio, this shit's got to go T-shirt on when he was holding his son for the first time in his picture, and he chuckled nice about one. it. But, um... Nice. Yeah, nice one, Charlie. Yeah. So uh, let me uh, take a moment and uh, do my own plugging. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v- or v-radio.org. Uh, you can go to the archives and listen to hundreds of hours of programming. That's the other thing I was saying also about Z Radio. You're looking at hundreds of hours of programming, folks. There is absolutely no reason why you should ever have to listen to garbage. You know, there's all kinds of good stuff out there. 
you know, uh, alternate between them. You know, uh, Terry has a good show also where he just does a little bit of uh, Creative Commons music, many of which is actually really good, I might add. It's not it's not crap music, and then he'll talk a little bit, and he'll go back to it. I actually usually throw that show on when I'm, say, doing the dishes or whatever around the house. But, you know, it, it really means a lot to us alternative media people when you listen. Even if you're not donating money or time or resources, just the fact that you tuned in means a lot to us. So, you know, please consider checking that out. Um, and so you can check out my archives there of shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, politicians, the few good ones, uh, activists, uh, scientists, lots of great interviews on the show, lots of great roundtables like the ones you just dealt with here. And if you are interested in um, contributing, I do have a donation widget on the donate page. There's a link to it in the description of this show. Um, and uh, finally, um, I'm going to be going ahead and playing this clip. I want to thank you, Terry, for being on today. I want to thank you, Gregory, for being on today. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Neil. You guys and everyone, look, and everyone on them broadcasters have been mentioning our gems. So pass them on. Yep. Thanks a lot. And um, I'll be interested to see. So give me guys a comment. You guys can comment to me, uh, you know, via instant message what you thought of this clip after it's done. So... Um, let me go ahead and play it. This is George Carlin. Um, this is actually a montage of different clips of him talking to different people. So <laughs> it may sound a little confusing, but it's it's during the time. This is another thing that's kind of ironic. I'm thinking about doing a whole show just about George Carlin. Because right around before the time he died, he was talking about running for president. Imagine what that would have been like. So here we go. The Americans seem to think that the party's going to last forever, and the holiday goes on and on, and they don't really see the error of certain things. I mean, uh, Thomas Rainsford Lounsbury was an educator in the 19th century, and he said, It never ceases to surprise me at the infinite capacity of the human mind to resist the introduction of useful knowledge. And that's what it is. People know better. People sense better. But they go against it. They just think there's no consequence. It, it it's a steady downhill slide. Uh, you know, we're headed, this country is really finished. I mean, it really is technically finished. It's just a matter of playing out the end game. Well, it's true. It's true. You can see it. You can smell it. Anyone who can't see it or smell it doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, there's a medical term that they use in hospitals when a person has no future left on this planet. They can't be helped anymore. Uh, and they put it on the chart, CTD, circling the drain. And that's what we're doing. We're slowly circling the drain, and, and, and the circles get smaller, and they get faster. I enjoy it. Personally, I, I don't have a stake in the outcome. Right. I personally enjoy this, this circus that I've been invited to. I, I, I've often said when you're born in the world, you're given a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America, you're given a front row seat. And I couldn't enjoy it more. And I'm talking about the fact that a, a war is uh, old men protecting their property by sending young men or rich old men protecting their property by sending middle class and lower class young men off to die. It always has been. It's all about owning things. All of this, 
all of this back and forth and debate implies that there are really choices in this country, that we really have choices, freedom of choice. It's an illusion. Americans are made, and, and having, they're having trouble filling the slots in this all-voluntary army. I wonder why. Let me say one thing about choice. There is no real choice. They say freedom of choice. You're given an illusion of choice. Americans are meant to feel free by the exercise of meaningless choices. You don't have, you know what the choices are in this country? Paper or plastic, a pile or window, smoking or non-smoking. Those are your real choices. You began to say, you began a sentence a little while ago with it. It's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise that rich white men don't care about poor black people, period. So they're not oh, high on their list. That they're is not high George. on their list. George, they're I not love high. They're not oh, I don't nonsense. care if you love me or not. They're not high on the conscious or the no, subconscious list of those people who are in charge of things in this country. The owners, forget these, these foolish elections, the owners of this country don't care about the poor in general. The owners and they in this don't country, care about what are we going... Wait, wait, is this Karl Marx talking to me? The owners of this country are no. the voters of this no, country. You're wrong about that, my friend. Are, are, aren't the owners of this country wrong. the voters in this country? No, who no, elected they're, George no, they're not. Listen, politics, these elections are a charade. It is a charade. Oh, okay. it is, it is, they are meant to... Well, I'll tell you, listen, just listen for a minute. Learn a little something. The ele elections and politicians are in place in order to give Americans the illusion that they have freedom of choice. You don't really have choice in this country. I have an addendum to that. The real looting in this country takes place in the transfer of the wealth from the poor to the rich. I'm sorry that you don't like class and the truth, my friend, but you're just stuck with it. I'm a, class I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, and the poor have been systematically looted in this country. The rich have been made richer under this criminal, fascist president and his government. <laughs> You know, George, George you, I think you know, you know what fascism is. Fascism you know what fascism is? America, you know what Nazis where, are? Not where, no, wait, yeah. sir, wait, you sir. When Nazis fascism are, comes to America, it will are. not be in brown and black shirts. It will not be oh. with jackboots. It will be Nike sneakers and smiley shirts. Smiley, smiley. The, the, the fascism... Germany lost the Second World War. Fascism won it. Believe and actually, me, my friend. Fa George, you think is that looting is, yeah. is looting okay if there's no if there's no hurricane? First of all, property. I break into no, but, but, but whenever you want. We're talking I, I, I about no problem with theft. May I be honest? No with problem. You? With I have theft. no problem with theft. It's true. Well, George is defending looting, but I have no. It's, it's, I have no stake I, in it. I have I, no stake I, in the outcome. I think. I, I think. <laughs> I think you have to give them credit for one thing. You because have to give them credit. They're out in the open the now. They're out in the open now. They're not even trying to conceal it anymore. The owners of the country have to, they bought their elect, got their election. They said we're going to get this election. We put you people in that court for a reason. All right, now back time to, to Earth us. for you and now. We, yeah, forget all that stupid. Will you? <laughs> you, you they're out in the open. They're, open. No they're openly driving the bus, and we're all in the back. Because of the energy policies need, that were created here in California, need, not as a result of a conspiracy, need, but you because... You don't need a formal conspiracy right. when interests converge. These people went to the same universities oh, and fraternities. Please. They're on the it's same boards of directors. They're in the same country clubs. They have like interests. They yes. don't need to call a meeting. They know what's good for them, it's a and they're getting it. And there used there, to be seven oil companies there are now three, it will soon be two. The things that matter in this country have been reduced in choice. There are two political parties. There are a handful of insurance companies. There are about six or seven information things. But if you want a bagel, there are 23 flavors because you have the illusion. You have the illusion of choice. Right. You don't get the real importance. There's no freedom of choice.